the Silver Voices Project, which allowed for digitization and sharing of this archival audio, was made possible by a grant from the U.S. Institute of Museum and Library Services, grant number MA 30190681198119. I'd be glad if you'd give me some uh, reminiscences about Mr. Ince, Mr. Carrillo. You just said that you would be glad if I gave you some reminiscences about Thomas H. Ince. Well, I can readily understand why your great corporation, the Eastman Kodak Company, should be interested in a personality of that kind and what he had to do in the pathfinding, I might say, in the pioneering of the motion picture industry and its values as far as the Eastman product is concerned and filmed and all that sort of thing. Perhaps Tom Ince opened many doors to the enlightenment and value of photography in the days when they had to find most of their sets outdoors. And then came the lighting, the Klieg lighting, and then <clears throat> came, I'm, a, uh, I'm just prefacing this with these remarks because sort of set the stage of the man that I knew in vaudeville. His father, I must go back and tell you that, was had a little dramatic school in New York, and he had a brother who was a cartoonist. His name was Ralph Ince, and another brother, John Ince, who was an actor. And, uh, and uh, the old John Ince, the father, had this dramatic school. I guess the boys picked up the germ in that surrounding, in that atmosphere. And uh, I was a boy that came from California, the tender age of 17, and finding my way through the vaudeville circuits and one thing or another, to went the entertainment world. I met a lovely girl, married her, remained my wife for the rest of my life, was lost recently, and then I met another young man, a little bit older, I think, than I, but nevertheless, we became great friends. He was named Thomas Aitchins, and he was in vaudeville with William H. Thompson in a sketch called For Love's Sweet Sake. He played the son, and Mr. Thompson played the father. Well, <clears throat> he got married, and so did I, and then we met again, and we made a tour of the Orpheum circuit. And that was the great vaudeville circuit. At that time, the, the Keith Orpheum circuits were the big circuits. Now radio took them over, and they called it RKO. Well, Tom and I came through California, and incidentally, to show you how humble things were in those days and how simple we lived, simply, I should say, we lived economically. We lived for $20 a week for four of us in boarding houses, average that. That's $5 a piece, board and room, and we're happy. And uh, this personality interested me very much, Tom Ince, because he had a very delightful manner lovely sense of humor, a good little actor on the stage, and he saw something new come into the horizon of show business when he hit California. <clears throat> and that was motion pictures. It impressed him so that he said to me, we'll finish this circuit and come back when he finished our season and go into pictures at, in California. Well, I was a little bit too proud then because I had ambitions for the legitimate stage, which finally I accomplished. 
<coughs> Broadway and other places, theaters and shows, that Tom, true to his determination, returned to California and went into a thing called motion pictures. That day, those days, they had the crank camera, and I don't know what film they were using. Perhaps they were using the product of the Eastman Kodak Company. I don't know at that time. But anyhow, it wasn't the film that they use today. It wasn't the great development that has happened in the development of films. Then it was simple. They did a lot of chases. They did a lot of action. They did a lot of horse stuff, a lot of Indian stuff. And Tom seemed to revel in basic motion pictures, as it is today, and we're going back to it. You can see it in television. Western, the Westerns, that's what Tom made. <coughs> he made uh, these Indian pictures in a place called Inceville. And uh, incidentally, I had a very lovely sister with a great memory. She could remember a list of telephone numbers as long as from here to the end of the street from where I'm sitting. And you'd simply ask her, and she'd give you the number of any actor or any person of any character. And Tom saw great value in her, and he says, I think I'll use her as my casting director. So whenever he needed anybody in Spanish, he got, and got plenty of them, and she could just bring off these numbers, like rattle, rattle them off like she knew them for years. But anyhow, Tom started making pictures in Inceville. <clears throat> I suppose you want to know about Tom Ince, what kind of a person he was. Tom, bushy hair, twinkle in his eye, a nice smile, uh, rather a collegiate appearance he had at the time, if I remember rightly, smooth-shaven and warm he was in personality. But when he went into pictures, somebody said one time, it's the want of expression that comes to all men, the do for the doing, that satisfies then. Well, I guess... He was satisfied by doing what he did. I remember one time when Walter Belasco, David Belasco's brother, was working for him, and Walter was playing a scene, and he had to die over a table, and that didn't suit Tom Ince quite enough, so Tom said to him, you're not dying right. Let me show you how to die. So somebody would shoot a blank cartridge, Tom would fall, grovel, scream, and roll off of the table, hit the floor, cut. That was the shot he wanted. <clears throat> so Walter Belasco rehearsed it and tried it, and probably conscious of imitating Tom Ince, missed it a dozen times before he finally did it. Tom kept his temper, but he was a driver. He drove and drove hard, kept things moving, and in those days, of course, it didn't cost very much to make a complete picture. But Tom used even economy in those days, I can remember. And then I wrote to him when I began to see the light and the importance and the progress of pictures, and I asked him what he thought of my coming out and uh, making pictures. I knew nothing about it, and he says, Well, if you'll come out, I'll make a berth for you. That's the exact language he used. I didn't go out. I stayed in New York and finally accomplished what I went after, which was stardom in New York. However, that's beside the point. <clears throat> Tom Ince had fine imagination. He had a good education. He made a lot of friends. He uh, was not a party thrower, 
although he liked people, he liked the association of people, but he watched things and he knew values, he knew stage values. And in those days, stage actors were very valuable, like the great Frank Keenan that worked for him. And I can remember Frank Brozegi when he came there as an extra and he became one of our greatest directors. I see, I can see Frank Brozegi right now with a scar painted on his face and that scar was put on his face by a makeup man by the name of Otto Lederer. He's since retired, a great friend of mine now, incidentally. He was a makeup man. And I remember this scar was very, very pronounced and very good. And then Frank Brzezegi was, he came there and waited and waited for weeks before he got a job and finally got a job, chance to play this scar-faced fellow in the picture. Another fellow came there and hung around. I don't think he was ever on a horse in his life. And uh, he hung around. Mind you, I got this observation just at intervals as I'd came, come in from playing vaudeville or come home on a vacation. I'd visit Inceville, where my friend Tom Ince, by that time, was in business. <clears throat> I remember one time he told me, see that fellow standing over there against the fence? I'm going to put him in Western pictures. I think he'd be great. So he did. He gave him a job. And I remembered in the embryonic stages of my career in vaudeville where I saw this very man doing a sketch with his wife in New York. And finally he went out to the coast and met Tom Ince and went into pictures. He, he was a fellow named William S. Hart. And that's where Hart started his Western pictures with Tom Ince. There was a great director called, they called him Wesley <coughs> West. Uh, uh, his last name was West, and he was also a very great director. And then they had Dorothy Dalton, the very beautiful Dorothy Dalton, who was a leading lady for Tom. And Tom started to progress, and uh, as I saw him grow, and uh, pictures began to grow, it seemed to be a race between those, the, uh, that the progress of pictures and the people making them, and pe it began to attract attention all over the world. Then... I don't want to t take too much time, but Tom, afterwards I visited him at his home. The culmination of all of this effort, all of this imagination, all of this organization, all of this financial imagination was realized. He had become a very wealthy man and built a beautiful home in the Beverly Hills section, or rather uh, back in Benedict Canyon, the place now is owned by Harold Lloyd, who bought it from Carl Lemley, Jr. But I can remember when Tom built that, I went through the place with him, and he was building it, and he had the beams that looked like the inside of a great ship. And he told me, it shows you that the man had great imagination. And he built this mansion, and he had his family there, and his lovely wife, Nell, then he, he bought um, the, um, I can't think of the name, right here in Hollywood, Chateau Elysee, I think it is, where she owns this big apartment house. I don't know whether Nell is still there or not. But Tom had several sons. One was killed in, in the motorcycle races, and he was a motorcycle expert. And the other one is, is Bill Ince, William Ince. He's a fine doctor living in 29 Palms in California. And I saw him not very long ago, and I'm sure that Tom would be very proud of this boy of his by Nell Ince. And uh, 
Rather a tragic ending that came to the young boy that rode the motorcycle. Another tragic ending came to Ralph Ince, who became a great director, a hard-fisted director. He was killed in London, and his brother John died later, and Tom himself died uh, suddenly here in California. To make you sort of a summation of the whole thing, Tom Ince, in my opinion, one of the greatest friends I ever had, one of the nicest men I ever knew, had great ability, great ambition, determination, consideration for people. He had organization, and he made some of the best pictures of the day at that time. Mind you, Western pictures has always been the basic value, I think, in motion pictures. They're back to it again. Everybody loves cops and robbers, and that's what it was, cops and robbers and Indians. But uh, for the benefit of this great Eastman Kodak company that has asked me to say these few words, I wish I had time to go into, and things would come to me more rapidly, and they're coming tonight because I've been working all day. But nevertheless, to me, it's a great privilege to say a good word for a fine man with a fine family, and a great contribution to the motion picture industry. And uh, I believe my friend Mr. Pratt here, I met him accidentally in the lobby of the Beverly Hills Hotel. And although I had an engagement, pressing engagement, he prevailed on me through his very warm personality, and I sort of yielded <laughs> to his suggestion, and here I am talking my head off for the Eastman Kodak Company, posterity, and you who will come, research, listen, read, and know perhaps something of that composite personality that I described a while ago, strong, kind, imaginative, dramatic, and every detail to make a successful man. Thank you, Mr. Pratt. Thank you so much, Mr. Carrillo. Would you give us a postscript, Mr. Carrillo, on Sesu uh, Hayakawa? Yes, I'll tell you what. In those days, uh, different characters or different nationality played different characters. And at this time, Sesu Hayakawa, a Japanese boy who had come to work for Tom Ince and his little wife, Ayuki, I'll never forget her. They had to play a scene out in the ocean in a canoe. And they were having a knife battle, he and an Indian by the name of Swallow. They were both wrapped in blankets and uh, something happened and the canoe turned over. Swallow released himself from the blanket but Hayakawa started to sink, and I, forgive me for using the personal pronoun, but I was the champion swimmer at the time, and I dove in clothes and all and picked up the edge of the blanket and unwrapped him and pulled him to the top and saved his life. I don't wish to be a hero, but there, this was a long wharf right near Innsville on the coast, and that's where they shot many water pictures from this wharf. And that's where Sesio Hayakawa 
started with Tom Ince. Since then, you've read of him, of course. He has made pictures in Europe. He's very popular in Japan. He just finished a picture here. I believe he was up for the nom a nomination of, for an Oscar. And I don't remember whether he got an Oscar or not, but he had made a great contribution to Thomas Ince's organization at that time. I forgot to mention that Tom had a lot of Sioux Indians <clears throat> that lived on the lot at Inceville, and one of them was Papa Lone Bear. He was 104 years old. And I think this is a good human little human interest story because I had started back over the Orpheum circuit, and I was in Kansas City in the railroad station then before airplanes, and I noticed a lot of Indians in the waiting room, and lo and behold, there was Papa Lone Bear, who in the interim had gotten a release from Mr. Ince to go back, from Tom Ince to go back to Montana and die. He felt the call that he was going back to die. When he saw me, he had a pair of beautiful, beautiful beaded moccasins, which I have today, and he said to me, in his Indian manner, he says, Leo, you good boy, you my friend, you good Sioux Indian. He said that because we, my wife and I had been initiated into the Indian tribe, and in that case we have to eat dog to qualify. Well, we ate meat. We don't know whether it was dog or not, but anyhow, we would have eaten dog just to become a part of that great band of original Americans, the Sioux Indian. Well, he said, Leo, you good boy, you good Sioux, you young man, you got long trail to walk in life. Me, 103-year-old, four-year-old, pretty near. Me, you, take my moccasin, good luck. You walk, you trail of life. Me, go back to reservation. He went back to his reservation, and I learned shortly afterward the good Lord took him, and today those moccasins hang in my ranch house near Oceanside, California, and every time I see them, I sort of recall that great moment in the life of an Indian friend, Papa Lone Bear. So all these things happened, and there's so many things that I could, be tell, I could tell you about, but those Indians loved Tom Ince. They loved him. They were loyal to him. Everybody that worked for him, they were loyal to him. I wish I could recall the name of some of the pictures Frank Brzezegi was in, but I, I can't for the moment. So, again, I'm going to give you back this little strip of tape that perhaps... Oh, I forgot to mention, incidentally, that afterwards I learned to know a great member of the Eastman Kodak Company organization, a very progressive, a very energetic, a very successful member of that organization, Mr. Dro Joe Brulatour, and his lovely wife, Hope Hampton. Mind you, I was just a kid, and I used to look up to the black pearls on this man's white dinner 
suit. When he wore his dinner jacket and I saw them in different places or on the street in New York, and I said, my, think of that, that I have the privilege of knowing a man like that. That was part of your great company, Kodak, Eastman Kodak. My love and blessings to you all in Rochester. Thank you so much, Mr. Carrillo, for this uh, totally unexpected and very happy interview. This interview has taken place at the Beverly Hills Hotel, April 6, 1958.